I'm excited to be here, and I'm excited that you are here. If you have a Bible with you, open it up or turn it on and go to the Gospel of John, chapter 11. And today we're going to pick up in the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead in verse 28. So John, chapter 11, picking up in verse 28. Now listen, if you're new to the Bible... Uh, don't be afraid to use the table of contents in the beginning of the Bible. That, that's what it's there for. And uh, at Rocky River Church, we have lots of people that are new to the Bible, and I dig that. So I, I just don't want you to come in thinking, oh, man, I'm afraid to, to um, look like I don't know what I'm doing with the Bible. And I, pfft, don't worry about that. Uh, the Gospel of John is the fourth book in the New Testament. Find the New Testament. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke. And then the Gospel of John. Also, uh, once you have that, reach into your, your worship bulletin. Take out your message notes. You'll notice that there's um, a place on the back for you to take notes. The scripture passages are on the front. And, and I want you to take some notes. I, I read a report this week that said people remember 10% of what they read. Kim, you can use this. Steal it. I stole it from somebody else, too. Like I said, it's a report. 10% of what we read, we remember 20% of what we hear, which I'm not sure how to feel about that because I write about 7,000 words a week, about 4,000 words for my Wednesday night Bible study and about 3,500 words for a Sunday sermon. So, uh, and, and then I'm speaking it. People aren't reading it. I'm speaking it. So I'm thinking, man, they're getting 20% of, of, what I'm, of what I'm saying they're hearing. We, we remember 30% of what we see, 50% of what we see and hear, and 70% of what we write down and discuss. So take some notes today, and then find somebody to talk about this message with over the week, because uh, I want you to remember as much of this as you possibly can remember. A as you may know, we are in a series right now uh, called Miracles, where we are unpacking some of the, the miracles of Jesus in the Gospel of John. Now, just as a heads up, next Sunday, I'm going to step out of the Gospel of John for, for, for one week and bring a message from Luke 18, so you can read ahead, do a little homework, read Luke 18. Uh, and I'm going to be preaching a message called How to Pray for a Miracle. And you want to be here next week for that. But again, today, we're finishing up uh, a two-part message called Back to Life. And this is the miracle of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. Let, let me ask you guys a question. Just, just now that we've got the housekeeping stuff out of the way. Have you ever prayed a desperate prayer? I don't, I don't mean a, a desperate prayer like you're, you're down 20 points in the Super Bowl and you don't know when you might get there again. And so you, you're praying a desperate prayer. Lord, please let somebody on that front line. I, I know that we don't have a true uh, guard or offensive tackle, but please do a miracle. Let them block for Cam. Let us get a running game going, anything. Not that kind of desperate prayer or, or even a desperate prayer of, Lord, let, let my favorite race car driver, Dale Earnhardt Jr., win the Daytona 500. But I mean a truly desperate prayer. 
You ever prayed one of those? Um, maybe for you, it was a financial need. You, you had a desperate financial need. And sometimes that can be as big as I'm about to lose my business. Or it can be as big as you, you need food and you don't have money to buy food. Or you've got a, a rent bill that's coming due and you, you don't have the money to pay it. Um, it, it could be a desperate prayer like um, praying for a biopsy report. I know what it's like to pray desperate prayers. I've prayed many of them in my life for me and for others. And I had a desperate prayer moment on Friday night. You know, um, a pastor's life is a lot of things, but boring is not one of them. And... uh, when I go to bed every night, I put my cell phone by my bed on the charger, ringtone up, so that I can I can hear it if if somebody calls with an emergency. And you're you're, you're almost always expecting something. Well, Friday night about twelve thirty, I wasn't in bed yet. I was just sitting up watching some TV, and I got a text from my mom. Now. At first, I didn't know it was from my mom. I just heard the ding on my iPhone. And when I looked at it, I was surprised. She was, she was asking, are you still awake? And uh, I texted her back and said, yeah, what, what's up? And then uh, about the time I sent the text, I, I called. And I said, what's the matter? She said, um, it's your dad. I, I can't get him on the phone. My dad is 73. He'll be 74 in May. And uh, he, he, he gets up by five every morning and goes to work. And he has a company. They grind and repair concrete floors and put down coatings. And they, they do work all over the southeast. And um, it, it's, it's nothing for my dad to be on the road by 4.30 or 5 o'clock in the morning. And then also for him to be on the road sometimes 10, 11 o'clock at night, whatever, and uh, he had some guys working in Lancaster, South Carolina. And he had they'd finished the job. He took them to the hotel, checked them in, and was heading back to Myrtle Beach, where m- my parents live, um, about 9.30. So it's 12.30, and he's not home yet. And she hadn't been able to get him on the phone for over an hour and a half. That's not like him. And uh, so I said, you know, do, do a couple things and let me make a couple phone calls on my end. So I called the South Carolina Highway Patrol and got them involved and was asking about, you know, accident reports and gave a description of my dad and name and all those kind of things. They didn't have anything. Called the hotel. That was an interesting conversation. I won't get into that. Not all of it's nice. Um, Fifteen minutes later, my mom called back, and she was trying to be cool the first time. But the second time she called back, she said, something's wrong. This is just not your dad. And so we were worried that he had fallen asleep. 
driving, getting 73. Um, we just didn't know. So I have an uncle that's a retired North Carolina Highway Patrol, and we got him involved, and he was on the phone to South Carolina Highway Patrol dispatch, and we just had all sorts of things going. And I, I told my mom, said, I'm, I'm on my way. I'm at least going to go to the hotel in Lancaster and start, you know, on the route he would be taking. Because I'm thinking, I mean, anything could happen, you know. I mean, he could have run off the road. Nobody's, nobody's seen him. I mean, what, what in the world? And I, I was headed out Rocky River Road to get on 485, and I stopped to fill up the truck with gas. And I thought, I'm going to call my dad one more time. And phone rang twice. He picked it up and said, hey, uh, he said, hey, hey, bud, what you doing? It's late. I said, what am I doing? What are you doing? Where, where are you at? Have you, have you not heard the phone ringing? He, he said, no, what in the world's going on? I'm about to pull in my driveway. I said, well, hang on a minute. Uh, have you talked to mom in the last little bit? No, no I, I just had the radio up, riding down the road, trying to stay awake. Uh, been singing, that sort of thing. And, and uh, I said, so, so listen, just hang on a minute. You, you don't want to walk in the house right now. Because uh, when, when mom finds out that you're okay, she's going to kill you. <laughs> and he said, he said what, are you, what are you talking about? I said, Dad, we've been trying to call, mom's been trying to call you for almost two hours now. I, I've been trying to, to get in touch with you. Uh, there's an APB out on your truck uh, because we're sure something's happened. I said, Johnny, who was my uncle, Johnny is on the phone to South Carolina Highway Patrol Dispatch right now. We're all, Carmen, my sister, she's gone looking for you. I'm on my way to Lancaster right now. He said, oh, oh my gosh, you know, um, Turns out he's okay, he even survived my mother. I, I talked to him yesterday just, just, just to make sure. Um, but I'm going to tell you something. I've, I've been worried before. I've been scared. I've never been that scared. I, I don't know that I've ever prayed so desperately. And what the story of Lazarus being raised from the dead is, is really all about it's about what happens when Jesus intersects with a desperate prayer. L let me give you just a, a little bit of the backstory because we talked about the first part of the story last week. And so let, let, me, just, let me just catch you up. Jesus and his disciples were ministering. And a, a message comes to Jesus from Mary and Martha, who are great friends to Jesus. They send word to Jesus that uh, Lazarus, their brother, and Jesus' friend. In fact, in the, in the message, they don't even give Lazarus' name. They just tell Jesus that the one he loves is sick. That's how close they are. They're, they're friends. They're, they're tight. Um, they send word to Jesus that he's sick. And it's a desperate situation. In fact, Lazarus is not just sick. He is dying. And again, because we know they're such good friends, we expect Jesus to just um, sort of jump right to action, but, but he doesn't do that at all. In fact, he waited two more days to leave. 
by the time Jesus gets to Bethany, the village where Lazarus, Martha, and Mary live, it's been four days. And Lazarus is dead. And then when we ended the story last week, um, it, it was at the end of a really powerful conversation between Martha and Jesus. Now, I want you to, to listen again to just a, a little bit of, just a couple of verses, which will lead us right into uh, verse 28 for today. Martha said to Jesus, she's come out of the village to meet with Jesus. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And it's almost like she doesn't want him to take that the wrong way, or she doesn't want to seem uh, disrespectful. So she says in verse 22, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said back to Jesus, I know that he will rise again or, or be raised from the, the grave on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he challenges her faith. He asks her the question, do you believe? It's a way of asking, do you believe that anything is possible? Do you really believe in me? It's like he's saying, at this desperate moment of your life, this is going to be a real test of your faith. And she said back to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. One of the things that the miracles of Jesus do is they, they tell us more about who Jesus is. And Jesus says here in verse 25, which is certainly the most important verse in this story, maybe one of the most important in the whole Bible, Jesus says, I am the resurrection. I'm life. If you're, if you're living in me, you'll, you'll never die. And, and also what he is saying to that is, I have resurrection power. Th that means I can do anything. I have the power to even raise the dead. L let me ask you this. Has something died in your life? Or is something dying? Are you dying? Is it a business? Is it your finances? Is it your relationship with your husband or your wife or a son or a daughter, a best friend? Maybe a dream. Is something dying? Listen, this story tells us that Jesus can bring dead things back to life. Let's pick up now in verse 28. When Jesus said, or when she said this, that, that she does believe, when she said this, she went and caught her sister Mary, saying in private, which means she has pulled Mary aside. Do you know why? Because Jesus is a wanted man. Jesus is about six months from the next Passover season. 
So he's about two and a half years into his ministry, and at least for the last two years, the religious leaders have been looking for opportunities not only to discredit Jesus before the people, but to kill him. And so Jesus didn't come all the way into Bethany. He stayed outside of Bethany. Martha has come to him. Now when she goes to Mary, she pulls her aside because there's a lot of people there. We'll talk more about them in a minute. But there's people in there, and Jesus is a one of man. So she pulls her aside privately and says, the teacher, the rabbi, Jesus, is here, and he's calling for you. He's asking about you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. I love that about Mary. She's so humble, and every time she's in the presence of Jesus, she just falls at his, at his feet. Mary was a notorious sinner. She had been forgiven. And sometimes people who recognize that they are a notorious sinner who has been forgiven so much, they just seem to be more grateful to the Lord. And she said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Those are real words in a real moment of desperation, aren't they? And and when you read the Bible, listen, guys, don't read it like it's a Shakespearean novel. Oh, Titus, bring thy friend hither. Don't don't read it that way. These are real people. This is is a, a, a real life situation. These are real words. Where have you been? Why didn't you come sooner? This could be a party. It didn't have to be a funeral. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in a spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And again, you have to almost watch this being played out. They are moving now. They're they're in motion. They're not just standing there. They're they're moving now. And he said, where have they laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. So they're, they're on the move. And Jesus wept. So he's not just standing there crying. They're they're all moving together and they're all crying together. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. See, see how he loved Lazarus? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you if you believed you would see the glory of God? We've already been through this, Martha. 
I asked you if you had the faith. Do, do you believe in me? You, you said, yes, you are the Messiah of God. You, you are God. So, so hang on to that. So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. That's a powerful story, isn't it? I mean, it's amazing. And even though it's an amazing story, I'm sure that some of you are thinking right now, okay, it's a great story, but so what? I mean, what does this matter to my life? It's a great story, but I'm never going to be involved in a situation like this. Uh, what am I supposed to learn here? Great question. Let me answer it for you. The story teaches us that Jesus can do anything. Do you believe that? This story teaches us that nothing is impossible with Jesus. It doesn't matter how bad things might look right now. It doesn't matter what the situation is in your life. Jesus can do anything. With him, anything is impossible. Last week, I gave you four principles to remember whenever you're in a desperate situation. Today, I want to give you four next steps, and I'm going to have to give them to you kind of quick, so work with me. Ready to dig in? All right. Four action steps that you take when you're in a desperate situation, when someone's dying, when something is dying, when, when your hope is dead. Number one, ignore the naysayers. Ignore the naysayers. Everyone in this story knew who Jesus was. Of course, Mary and Martha, they know who, who Jesus is, but everyone else there knew him too. They, they knew of him and they knew about him. R remember, um, there's lots of people there. They're all in the house and, uh, you know, eating a bucket of chicken, that's what we do. Uh, in the South, anyway, when somebody dies and we gather up somewhere, there's got to be chicken. I think that's because there's usually a preacher there, and chicken to a preacher's like sick them to a dog. So you got to have chicken. They're, they're, they're back there eating. And all of those people, they know about Jesus. Again, that, that's why uh, Martha goes out to meet Jesus before he even shows up. That, that's why he stays outside of the village. They, they know about Jesus. They know about his reputation. That They know that he can do miracles. And there are some believers in the group, but there are some unbelievers in the group too. 
And the unbelievers are whispering to each other, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man keep a sick man from dying? They were referring to the the reports they had heard about Jesus healing the blind man. You remember we unpacked that story just a couple of weeks ago in John chapter 9. And their logic goes something like this. Jesus is grieving, so we can tell that he loves these sisters. We can tell that he loved Lazarus. He, he cares for us. He's weeping right along with us. Since he cares so much about us, and the reports say that he can do miracles, why didn't he do one here? If he's a miracle worker, and he can make a man who has been blind since his birth able to see again, then, then surely he can heal a man who dies, um, who, who is sick before he dies. That's because he's not a healer. He's a sham. Obviously, Jesus did not heal Lazarus because he can't heal. And Jesus knew what they were saying. Listen to verse 38. The first part of the verse says, Then Jesus deeply moved again, went to the tomb. You know what deeply moved means in the original language? Greek, that's... The New Testament was originally written in Greek. It means to be annoyed or provoked to anger. And it, it's multidimensional, really. And it also has this meaning with it. It has a sound, okay? And it, it's like the snorting of a horse. Jesus is upset. And what has him upset is the, the disbelief of these naysayers. They, they, they're not offering any encouragement. They're not even pretending like they believe. They're, they're not willing to see how it all plays out. They've just decided that, well, th- th- this is not going to happen. So when Jesus is moving toward that tomb, listen, he means business. He does not let the doubters and the naysayers keep him from doing what he went there to do. Listen, if you are going to put your faith and your trust in Jesus to do something miraculous, if you're going to trust Jesus to fix something that's broken or to heal someone who's sick and dying, there are going to be doubters and naysayers. They all show up, and it's going to surprise you who they are. It's people that will move right in beside you, and they show up acting like they care about you. And listen, maybe they do care about you. Maybe how they act or what they say, they do it out of, out of ignorance. But some of the people that will slide up by you, they slide up near you, and they're crying with you, and they are willing to console you but they are not willing to believe with you. 
They show up for the funeral, not to raise the dead. So don't let the doubters stop you. Don't let them hinder your faith. Don't let their doubts become your doubts in what Jesus can do. Still with me? Here's action step number two. Know that love takes action. Love takes action. Love takes action. Now, we're adults in the room, aren't we? Even teenage adults, right? That means that most of us have been around enough to know that Jesus does not heal every sick person. We've been, we, we've been through enough experiences, either it was our own experience or, or we've been through something with, with someone else that we love. They're sick and they need a miracle or they're going to die and that miracle seemingly never comes, at least the one that you're praying for and, and they die. We've been to a, enough funerals to know that Jesus does not raise back to physical life every person that dies. We also know that he doesn't heal every marriage. But just because Jesus does not answer a prayer the way you want him to or the way that you're expecting him to doesn't mean that he, he doesn't care or that he doesn't love you or that he's not involved. There are examples in this story of Jesus caring. Even if, if you take away the raising Lazarus from the dead, there's no doubt that Jesus cares. And he didn't just care in his words. He cared in his deeds and his actions. Uh, Jesus gets word that Lazarus is, was sick. No, he didn't go to Bethany when we're all expecting him to. But he went in his own time for his own reasons. He went. He showed up. Then when he got to, to Bethany or, or just outside of Bethany, and then ultimately when he, he did get into to Bethany, he, he engaged the women in conversation. I mean, Jesus shows up with disciples, but they're not an entourage. They're not the secret service that handles him and keeps him away from people. Jesus engages in conversation. And, and not only that, but he's, he's crying with them. He, he's with them. He demonstrates that he he cares. He puts his love into action. And then, of course, he does raise Lazarus. And then the greatest example of Jesus putting his love into action is his death on the cross. My point is that Jesus didn't just talk about love. He showed it through his actions. Love is a verb Love is not really love until it has some actions behind it. Listen, truth be known, some of us listening right now could heal our own marriages if we would put some actions behind our 
I love you words. I mean, guys, some of you keep telling your, your wife that you love her, but apparently you don't love her enough to be willing to go to counseling that you both know you need. Or, or we, we can say we love our families, but those are words. And then we, we don't act like we love them. Or we say that we love them, but we don't eat like we love them. We, we say that we, we want to grow old with our spouse, but we, we're not willing to go to the doctor and have that prostate exam or, or, or to have that colon exam. Love is not love until it's backed up with our actions. That goes for being a Christian too. I heard someone say this week, and it's a preacher that I listen to a lot. I'm not really sure what to do about it. I'm not sure that I fully believe it, although I think I do, but maybe I'm just resisting it a little bit. But he said, that you only love Jesus as much as the person you like the least. Here's step number three. Don't let your life experiences limit your faith. Don't let your life experiences put a limit on your faith. So do you believe that Jesus can do anything? Maybe. So Jesus says, take away the stone. And you're thinking, because most of us, we already know the story. So we think, all right, here we go. Watch this part right here, guys. This is going to get good. Roll back the stone. And you're thinking that Martha and Mary are right there going, oh, yes, this is exactly what we've been praying for for days. But instead, Martha says, no, 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 wait, 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 wait. Jesus, hang on here now. He's been dead for four days. He's already starting to smell. In the King James Version, it would say, he stinketh. Don't don't open that grave. What do you think she means by that? Well, I I think for one thing, she's making sure that Jesus knows exactly what everybody else there knows. She's stating the obvious. She's saying he's dead. And she says four days because in Jewish folklore, they believe that um, for three days after a person dies, that their spirit would hover next to the body. And so she's saying he's dead. In fact, his spirit left yesterday, so any opportunity for a miracle is gone. That window is closed. If if you wanted to do something like that, you should have come yesterday. This This is done. I don't know exactly what she's thinking, but I'll tell you that I don't think that she is expecting Jesus to raise Lazarus from the grave. She's still weeping. They are all weeping. And she tries to stop him. And do you know why? 
She tries to stop Jesus because in her life experiences, dead people don't come back to life. And that's reasonable, isn't it? I mean, if you're a reasoning sort of person, it's reasonable because you and I, and I'm going to step out on a limb here, I'm going to say that you and I have, have never experienced someone coming back to life once they're dead, have you? Maybe on a, on a ghost tour through Charleston or something like that, but not, not a real resurrection. Listen, some of us have already buried our marriages, but because in our life experiences, dead marriages don't come back to life. Or in our life experiences, people aren't healed from this disease or when they have stage whatever. People don't, they don't get healed from this. And so when we do that, we have just limited our faith. We have closed our faith down to maybe Jesus doing a true miracle in our lives. You've got to have faith. And don't let your life experiences, because you haven't experienced everything there is to experience. Don't let your life experiences put limits on what Jesus can do. Because he can do anything. And here's action step number four. Continue taking next steps. Continue taking next steps. In Matthew 4, 19, Jesus said to his disciples, and not just those disciples a couple thousand years ago, but those of us who would follow Jesus today, he said, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. What Jesus is saying is, stop going the direction that you're going in right now and follow me. That means stop making your own path and follow in mine. That means you start putting your feet into my footprints. You follow after me. That's why at Rocky River Church, when we talk about taking next steps, what we mean is take next steps of faith in Jesus. See, we believe that Jesus wants to grow us. We, we believe that Jesus loves us just as we are, but he loves us too much to leave us where we are. He wants to grow us and prepare us for his purpose. I think there are two types of steps, two types of steps. And you can see them right here in this story. There are big faith steps. I think you have a blank for that. Yep, big faith steps. And let me just go ahead and give you the next fill in. There are practical steps. Practical steps. What are the big faith steps? Well, you can see it here in this story when Jesus says, take away the stone. Okay, for what? Take away the stone. Are we going to go in and view the body? I mean, what's about to happen here? And let's say that Martha did believe that Jesus is going to raise Lazarus from the grave. She's certainly not expecting him to come out and be the way he was before. He's, he's already started decaying. This is a Middle Eastern desert. It's hot. He smells so if he, if he comes back to life, they have no idea what's going to come out of that tomb. They have no idea what's going to come out of that cave. They have no idea what he's going to smell like, let alone look like. It could be a monster that comes out of that tomb. 
And then the practical steps. It's curious to me that Jesus, because he, look, can we just all agree that if Jesus can raise him from the grave, he, he can um, just make his grave clothes fall off too? But this guy comes out, I see a mummy. He's wrapped in linen cloths. He's got a a face cover. You know, so he he walks out like a mummy. And Jesus says, unwrap him. I think Jesus left the grave clothes on him to get other people involved in this so that they have to touch Lazarus. They have to be right there again. They have to see that he's, he's really alive. But that's a practical step. Wouldn't you agree? That's a practical thing to do. So listen, when Jesus raises your marriage from the grave, that doesn't mean that you quit going to counseling. You keep doing the the practical things too. Just just because Jesus does a miracle in your relationship, that doesn't mean that you stop going to a counselor to try to work through the problems that killed your marriage in the first place. If you stop doing the practical things just because Jesus has done a miraculous thing, well, then what you're going to find out is that your marriage is going to die again. Do the practical things. Not just in those relationships, but but do the practical things, the next step things when it comes to your spiritual life. I'll give you a couple right here. Read Luke 18 this week. Read the whole chapter. It's not long. It's a short chapter. Read it. Read it once every day this week. That, that's a simple next step. Some of you need to take the next step of baptism. You've put your faith and trust in Jesus. You've never been marked in baptism. For some of you, you, you need to take the next step of membership. You, you've been dating the church long enough. It's time to make a commitment to the church. What's your next step? Is it a big step? Is it a smaller, practical step, but still important? Because I'm going to tell you this. Jesus has created you to live a life that's bigger than the one that you're living right now. And he created you with a purpose. And he wants to prepare us for that purpose. He wants to grow us. And he does that by giving us next steps to take. And I'm just going to tell you, as one who knows, sometimes those steps are scary. Because you don't know what's waiting for you on the other side of that step. You you don't know if the next step is the one that's going to put you face to face with a monster walking out of the tomb. Or or it might lead you to an uncomfortable place and you have to step out of this comfort life that you're living in right now and you have to step out into a place that's messy and sticky and it's not comfortable. But it's worth it. One of the places that or one of the things that we miss in this story, and I'm, I'm going to pray with us after this, but one of the things we miss in this story is that Jesus says, unbind him, unwrap him, and let him go. See, s- some of us 
we're already unwrapped, we're already unbound, there's not anything holding us back. We just won't go. We won't live. We won't take the next step. Take the grave clothes off and start living. Take the next steps. Let's pray together. Would you stand with me? Just with every head bowed, every eye closed. Just want you to think for a moment about your next step. And what's Jesus saying to you about that? What's he want you to do? Where does he want you to go? What does he want you to give? Maybe the next step for you is a, is a practical one. Maybe you need to say something to someone. You need to give forgiveness or you need to ask for forgiveness. Maybe you need to go and say, I, I'm sorry. I realized this morning that I've got to make a phone call this afternoon and talk to a, a desk manager at the Quality Inn in Lancaster, South Carolina. So maybe you need to say something. Maybe you need to go somewhere. M maybe Jesus is calling you into ministry. Maybe he's calling you to the mission field. I'm gonna pray about these next steps right now. Heavenly Father, I, I pray that you would give us the courage to take next steps of faith. Whatever that next step may be, to go somewhere, to say something, to give something, to minister to someone, whatever it is, Lord, I pray that you would just give us the courage, fill us with your power, resurrection power, to take that next step, no matter where it leads, because no matter where we end up, if we're taking next steps with you, we will end up in your will, and that's right where we want to be. Jesus, it's in your great name that we pray. Amen. Guys, l l listen, we're, we're a little bit long. We're a little bit long, and usually I'm worried about that because I see the people when they start gathering up in the lobby. People start peeking in the windows. Some pe sometimes people will look at their watch. And I'll be honest, when, they, when, when they do that, I just add five minutes to the message. <laughs> um, we're going to sing this next song. I, I, we didn't plan this out together, but I think it's just kind of cool that it's worked this way. Because this song is called I'll Fly Away. And, and that's, that's, sort of, that's sort of like the imagery that you have of Lazarus when he's let go. Um, like I said earlier, we, we know that Jesus doesn't raise every dead person back from the grave. But this song is about that day, resurrection day, when those who are dead in Christ will rise again, and we will fly away. So let's sing this song, and sing it like you mean it. God bless you guys. I love you, and I'll see you next week, if not before. Amen.